you know, some people will do some, some really crazy things uh, when they're, they're passionate about something. You know, or, or they want something to be known or something to be recognized. I mean, if, you, if you're a sports person, you, you can watch, you know, people that will paint their bodies up and do things that, you know, football games or, or things like that. So there's this girl who, when she was in junior high, she was a middle school student, she was in science class and she had a, uh, an assignment and they were, they were going to dissect uh, an animal. Now, like when I was in seventh grade, I think we like dissected a frog or something like that. It's pretty cool. When she was in middle school, she had to dissect a chicken wing, which is not, not so cool. But she was like so freaked out about it. She's an animal lover. She, it, it messed her up so bad that when she got into high school the next year or so later, she petitioned her school, the administration, and she got a policy for her school uh, enacted that during science class, if you were going to dissect something and, and you were morally opposed to it, like, like she is, uh, she now, fast forward to the end, I don't know how she is now, but she works for PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. It's an organization that like, loves dogs more than you. Um, she works for them now. But now you could get an alternative assignment. If you went, I can't dissect a frog, I can't do a chicken wing, I can't do a squid or whatever, you could get an alternative assignment, you didn't have to do it. But that's not the end. That, I mean, that's kind of high five. Hey, you're passionate about it. You go and make a change. But she is so passionate about like anti-dissection, like doesn't want in any schools, that she went and legally changed her name. Her first name is now Cutoff, and her last name is dissection.com, which is a website. There's a picture of her driver's license. I am not making it up. That, that is her legal name now. Hi, nice to meet you. My name's Cutoff. I'm Brett. What's your last name? Dissection.com. That's her legal name. Now, that, that's two things. That is passionate about not dissecting animals. That's also crazy. And, you know, but hey, that, that's where she's at. So the question I want to ask you tonight, and this is just a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer. Just, just in your mind. Is there anything in life that you are, are so passionate about that you would do things, make some decisions that would make other people go, okay, that's, that's a little bit out there. Some, somebody that you love so much, that, or, or something that you love so much that, that you would choose to do something, live a certain way that made the average person go, I think that they may be a little bit crazy. So I talked to your parents, some of your parents come in here on a Sunday morning, and we talk, we talk about the same thing you and I are talking about now. And for them, you know, it, it was very, an e- very easy connection, because for a parent, that thing are, are their kids. Parents will do crazy things, things that don't make sense, because they love you. Now, at this stage in your life, that typically doesn't run the other way. Like, your parents would love if you would just do your chores once in a while, and that, you know, not something crazy. So you start thinking, what is it that what is it that you're so passionate about that you would do something abnormal, something crazy, something outside the box for? And you may have your own. It may be a sports team. It could be a, a career field you want one day. Maybe it's Peter for you. I think something that kind of hits home for a lot of students are friends. I mean, every one of you probably at some point, maybe even the last year, has done something that was stupid uh, maybe, I mean, even fall in the category of immoral, something that was, that was wrong, but you did it on behalf of a friend 
because you, 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 you cared about him so much, you loved him so much. There's a guy named Morgan Hewlin. He's a teenager, student, hanging out with a bunch of his friends, and as some students would do, and I wouldn't recommend it, but it was a weekend, there was a party at somebody's house, no parents were there, so Morgan, several of his buddies, and a bunch of other people were over at this house, there was drugs involved, there was alcohol involved, and this young man, Morgan, high school age student, ends up overdosing on drugs while he's at this party. But while it's happening and while he's doing it, nobody realizes how bad it is. He's in the garage of his friend's home and he's passed out. Somebody goes and checks on him, as the newspaper said, on their way to the hot tub portion of the party. They check on him and he kind of moans and they think he's just passed out, roll him over on his stomach so he doesn't choke and and we're going to go out and finish the party. They come back in late, late into the night, early morning find out that their friend, Morgan Hewlin's dead in the garage. Now, if you ever have a moment in your life, which I hope you don't, if you ever have a moment where you stumble upon somebody that's dead, let me tell you, step one, you dial 911 and call the authority. That's, just, that's what you do, but not these guys. Because as they're talking about what to do, as their friend, and they're not totally sure he's dead, but, I mean, feels, they don't get a heartbeat, things like that. They start talking about what to do. They start panicking. There's no adults around. The guy whose house they're in says, listen, we can't have the cops show up here because there's drugs in this house and there were some other things that were illegal in his home that he knew about. So he throws out this idea to his friends. Let's take the body out of the garage and we'll lay it on the side of the street. So they drag the body out, but they feel, I mean, this is a friend of theirs. They feel bad. They actually take a pillow and lay the body's head on a pillow, put a blanket over him, because they are concerned. They're like, we, you know, we think he's dead, but we don't know. Unfortunately for them, fortunately for justice, a neighbor saw what was going on, calls the cops, and the whole thing blows up in their face. But at what point, in a rational thinking person's mind, do you go, hey, here's our friend, and I don't want to get in trouble for the problems that I, the decisions I've made. So I want my friend's parents to find him out on a street laying there dead. And when the cops come, <laughs> since he's on our block, we'll just go, I don't know. That's crazy. But if, if you get down, dig real deep, the reason why they did it it's because they're passionate about their friendships to a point where it was done. They said, man, I care about you, and I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't, know that, I don't want you to get in trouble. I mean, Morgan's already gone. I mean, I don't, you know, so he can't get in trouble. I don't know what the thought process was, but I'm so passionate about you as my friend, we will do this stupid thing to try to cover up so that we can all hang in there together. We will do some crazy things. We'll do some things that don't make sense when we're passionate about something, when we love something a whole lot. Well, for the last couple of weeks, and we've got a few more, we've been in the Stranger Things series. If you've, if you've never seen the show on Netflix, that's what's going on over here, the set design. But what we've been doing is, is taking some passages of Scripture that when you just read them up front, you kind of go, wait, what? Like two weeks ago, we read about a prophet named Elisha, and some, some, some teenagers were making fun of him, called him a bald head, and he curses him, and two bears come out of the woods 
And we're like, what happened there? And we, we walked through that. Last week, we had this moment looking at Jesus' life where it looked like Jesus was having, you know, like I said, a Snickers moment where he walks out and he's hungry and there's a fig tree and there's no figs on it and he curses the tree and it withers and dies. And you're like, why is Jesus so angry? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, this, this evening and this week, Sunday morning, our small groups, we're going to walk through Ezekiel 4. Let me set it up for you for a second. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, you need to uh, open up to the middle of your Bible. If, if you do that a couple times, you'll land in, in a large book called the Psalms. And if you'll go to the right, uh, you will come across Ezekiel pretty quickly. It's, it's a large book. It's got 40 some odd chapters or more. And I want you to go to chapter four. Again, we're going to read the whole thing because it's really weird. It starts off weird, gets weirder, and then gets like out of control weird. And then we're going to go back and talk about why and what it means and how it applies to us, okay? So let me set the stage for you. We're going back in time to 590-600 B.C., a long time ago. Israel, as a country, has divided into two kingdoms. Israel, if you're not familiar with the Bible, which we don't expect you to be, Israel is, is the, the, the people of God. But they've had some problems previous to this, and their kingdom split. There's a northern country that is now called Israel proper, and the southern country is called Judah. Both countries struggle with being obedient to God. They do things like put up idols and, 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 and worship false gods and then just disobedient. And so God, over the course of history, a lot of the Old Testament is God sending these prophets. We're just, they, they, they were guys and girls that just went to the people and said, listen, this is what God is saying. And usually the message is this, stop screwing up. Stop, stop being disobedient. Repent. You made a decision to be in a relationship with me as God and as my people, but you're not holding up your end of the bargain, and I've been merciful. But if you keep being disobedient, you keep uh, not, not doing what you're supposed to do, my mercy is going to run out. So profit upon profit upon profit upon profit come and say the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, it's the, it's the almost entire Old Testament, it seems like. Ezekiel is one of these guys. But Ezekiel is living in this world where Israel, this northern kingdom's already been taken over. It's already fallen. A country called Assyria has come in and wiped them out. It's now just Judah, the southern kingdom. And Ezekiel, as well as some other prophets, have been warning him. But he's up against something. He's up against some other false prophets, these other guys that are saying to the people, listen, don't listen to Ezekiel. Don't listen to Jeremiah. These guys, they're just like negative Nancys. Why? God is not going to let another country come in and profane his temple. Don't listen to Ezekiel. God is not going to let another country come in and destroy us because that would ruin God's reputation in God's name. What they didn't realize is that God was at another part in this story, and God's going, you know what? You guys have already profaned my temple, and you guys have already ruined my reputation because you said you'd love me and follow me, and you're not doing it. Now I'm the laughing stock of everybody else, and mercy's going to run out. So here's what happens. You ready? Ezekiel chapter 4, I'm going to read it all. And we're going to come back and talk through it. Verse 1, And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege work against it, and build a siege wall against it, and cast up a mount against it. Set camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and set your face toward it, and let it be in a state of siege, and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. We'll come back and talk about what's all happening here. Kind of weird if you're tracking. I know it's kind of hard to track some Old Testament stuff. Then it gets weirder, verse four. 
Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. Then it gets weirder. And you, verse 9, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food that you, shall, that you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of the hen. From day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it. Okay, here we go. You ready? And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Hello. It's like cafeteria food. And the Lord said... Thus says the people of Israel, eat their, the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations while I drive them. Then I, Ezekiel, said, oh, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself, a.k.a. I don't want to eat food cooked over my own poop. From my mouth, from my youth, up till now, I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Then he, God, said to me, see, I assigned you cow's dung instead of human dung, <laughs> like, that's a whole big upgrade right there, on which you may prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure. And in dismay, I will do this that they may lack bread and water and will look at one another in dismay and rot away before, because of their punishment. A lot of verses. Here's what's happening. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about what it means, but we're going to look at it from another perspective tonight. And what I want to come back to is ask you this. How far would you go to tell the people you love a word from God? Or if you came in tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, that, that's cool. How far would you go to tell your friends how they can have an extraordinary life? Same question. Let's put it out of a, out of, of, out of a spiritual context. So here's Ezekiel. He's this prophet. Now look what he's up against. You're in Ezekiel chapter 4. Just, just flip back to chapter 3 for a second. Verse 7 says this. These are the people he's hanging out with. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead. They're hard-headed and a stubborn heart. So Ezekiel's got these people that he's got to share this message of God with, and they've heard it over and over again. Stop being disobedient. Get rid of your idols. Worship God. Love God. Stop chasing after things that don't matter. And they haven't been listening for years. And so Ezekiel is called by God to deliver the same message they've heard over and over again, but to do it in a fantastic way. And so it starts with Ezekiel getting a, what my Bible calls a brick, and it looks something like this. This is not from there. This is from townhome floors piece of saltillo. You can see some pictures up here. You see, now this is a picture from in, in the Babylon area where, where the Jews are going to end up going that, that is about this from about this time. It's much older here. Hit the other one. You can see how they use this, uh, these bricks to, to build. So this is a little, you know, this is from here, but somewhat similar. 
And if you go to the British Museum, you can find these things that date back from this period of time, and many of them have engravings in them. You can see a picture of one right there. And so Ezekiel's got something kind of like this in the city square, kind of where everybody's coming and going, and he's, he's drawn a picture of Jerusalem on it, and then God has him like set up some models, like to put a siege against it. And, and, and so people are walking by. Imagine like at Walmart, of course, their city was not as spread out as ours is. Everybody walked to the same market to and from. Here's this guy, and he's building a model on the ground, like in front of the town, town hall. And so people are stopping, they're like, what are you doing? And he's putting siege work against, and he's giving them this picture, you know what, there's an army that's going to come, and they're going to surround their, our city, and they're going to cut off our supplies in and out, and they're going to stay there till we fall. If you don't start following the Lord, this is going to happen. So he's not just telling them, he's got this model there on the ground, and, and, and everybody sees it. That's the first weird part, because he wants them to know that there's a siege coming. But then he also wants to know kind of the second act that suffering's coming. This is where it gets weird. God tells him, hey, I want you to lay on your side for 390 days. Like, that's how you get like sores and stuff like that. Now, we don't know if he stayed there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We know in a second that he's got to cook some food and things like that and eat. So, but but for, for 390 days, as you're going to Walmart multiple times a, a, a week, you're walking past this guy and he's like laying there in front of his model, and he's always laying on his side, prophesying, warning people. You know what 390 days is? Anybody done the math? A year and a month. Like, like if we went to Walmart today, he, been, he, he had been there since like, what, September, beginning of September 2015? Through the winter, through the spring, through the summer? And the scripture says he's bound. He's, he's, he's tied up, looking like a crazy fool. And then he gets done, 390 days, and he gets up and stretches, you know, and people are like, well, I'm glad that's over. And he rolls over to his other side <laughs> for, for 40 more days, ties himself up, and is like, it's coming for you guys too. And they're like, what is wrong? Can you imagine, like, when he gets done with this 16-month, illustration. You think anybody's inviting Ezekiel over to the house to meet their parents? You think he's got a whole lot of friends? You think the girls are like, I can't wait till Ezekiel's done laying on his side. I'm hoping he'll ask me to marry him. People are like, this guy's nuts. Then all through the portion of that, there's going to be a siege. There's going to be a struggle. <laughs> then he lets them know, hey, there's going to be starvation in this city. And so God has, if you go back, he makes this bread out of like beans and out of lentils and millet. And so it's symbolizing, hey, bread's not going to come easy. Back in the World War I, World War II, I put some pictures of some propaganda signs that we had in America. You can see these are American where they told people, hey, save the wheat, help the fleet, eat less bread. Save a loaf a week, help win the war. There's a, you can get online and find recipes for what they call oatmeal bread. They came out of World War I, World War II when we were trying to save food because we were in a war and so people weren't making bread like, you know, white bread. They were making bread out of oats and oatmeal and crushing it up. Same picture here. They were trying to save because it was, it was getting bad. And, and so Ezekiel is giving this picture. Listen, I'm making bread out of beans because there's not gonna be wheat and grain. We're gonna be making bread out of anything we can find because we're gonna starve to death. And during the course of a day, Scripture says, and it gives us in, in Old Testament measurements, but he gets about eight to nine ounces of bread a day. That's it. And about a quart of water. 
He's starving for 16 months to paint a picture of what's coming. And then that part is just, this is not going to be in the application of the message at all. But God says, listen, when you cook your bread, why don't you just go to the bathroom right there, light that bad boy on fire, and you can cook your bread over it. That's another way not to win friends and influence people, FYI. And so, and so Ezekiel's like, God, please, no. I mean, I'll lay on my side. I'll be bound. I'll build a thing. Please don't make me poop in front of everybody and cook my bread over it. And he says, that's, it'd make me unclean by Old Testament standards. And God says, okay, cool. Then you can do it over cow manure. And Ezekiel's like, okay. And so all these people walk by and they see this happening for 16 months. Now, the message of Scripture, and I don't want you to miss this, because the message of Scripture, what this is about, is about getting right with God. That, that at some point, if we continue in our disobedience, you continue to do what you want to do in your life, you continue to say, God, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want. God, I'm going to date the people I want. I'm going to treat my parents the way I want. I'm going to have the friends I want. I'm going to do the things on the weekend that I want. God, I don't care about what you say. You will face judgment. It may, you may get a pass down your 80 days here. But if you die without Jesus, you'll spend eternity apart from him in a place that God calls hell. And, and the message of Scripture is God doesn't want that for you. So get right. That's the whole message. But what I want us to see tonight is I want us to look at this passage of Scripture from a different perspective. And it's a question I asked you earlier. How far would you go to tell the people you love what God has in store for them or what God wanted them to hear? Tell you what, right now, be, let, let's be gut level honest. If God called me to lay down in front of this church for 16 months on my side, I would be like, ah, for real? Like, there's so many other better ways. But Ezekiel loved God so much and he loved the people of God so much, he was willing to do something that was absolutely crazy that made cutoffdissection.com look like a lightweight when it comes to crazy because he wanted people to hear. So here's your application. Here's what I want you to do this week. And and I've I've done it a little differently. I try to give you some things to process and think through. At the end of the day, I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But instead of giving things to do, I want to ask you three questions. And if you're a note taker, I'd love for you to write these down. I think you can put them in your phone if you're using version, Because I'd love for you to come back and reflect on some of these questions that will help us determine how passionate we are about the Lord. How passionate are we really about the people that we say we love, we say we care about? And here's question number one. Would I be able to hear God if he called me to something big? Now here's the, all of these answers, all the, all the answers to questions, you know the answers to, or you know what the right answer is. You know, the right answer to this, would I be able to hear God? The right answer should be yes. If the answer to these questions are not what they should be, that ought to be something that you kind of stick a, a flag in your heart and go, hey, I need to address this. If God came to you and said, I want you to do this crazy thing for me, would you even be able to hear him to know that he was calling you to do that? It's a hard question. It poses some other questions that, that we have to ask. Like, when was the last time you even heard the voice of God? And you go, I don't, I, and again, I'm talking to, to people in the room that are following Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus right now, I mean, you're kind of getting a free pass. No one expects you to hear the voice of God. If you're not in a relationship with him, that, that's, that's hopefully coming for you. But for, for somebody in the room that says, man, I'm following Jesus, 
If somebody says, hey, when was the last time God spoke clearly to you? And you go, well, I don't know. Maybe it was seven when I made a decision to follow him. I heard him then, but I haven't heard him since. That ought to be like warning, warning, warning. Something's not right. I mean, if you're not hearing him on a regular basis, you're probably not gonna hear him call you to, to something big. It gives us this question. It's not number two. It's just kind of underneath this. It's underneath the same one of, of trying to understand these, these big things. Do you, do you put yourself in a position where you can even hear God? If you're not used to being in his word, you're not used to being around a group of people where, where you, here's the crazy thing. You go to Camp Collide, the last night of Camp Collide, people are emotional, people cry, they don't want to leave. And, and some youth ministers get a little jaded about that because they're like, yeah, it's just all emotions. Sometimes it's emotions. It has been. We've been up late at night and stuff like that. But you know what else it is? It's we've spent a week away from the routine. We've spent a week in, in, in with, with other people who are chasing after Jesus. We've spent a week worshiping in them in the morning, worshiping in the night. we spent a week opening up our Bibles and, 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 and looking at his word. we spent a week talking to our friends about what God is doing. And after three or four days of that, we become more sensitive because we placed ourselves in the, where the Spirit's moving. And when God speaks, it's so much easier to hear him. I, I'll just tell you this. I'm not trying to like, I'm not pressing for church attendance. But, but if, if, you're, if your corporate worship experience is one Wednesday night every couple of weeks, it's going to be harder for you to hear the voice of God. It just is. Because you're not putting yourself in the flow of where he's moving. Or another question kind of on the same thing is this. Have you been faithful in the small things? I mean, the question that we're asking is, is would I be able to hear God if he called me to something big? The, the question that comes before that is, have you been faithful with the small things he's called you to do? If God has called you and you've heard him speak on a Wednesday night, a Sunday, and you go, man, God has told me that I, I, my mouth, the words that I use, whether it be cussing or gossip or sarcasm, the things that God has called me to do, he's called me to clean up my mouth. God's called me to stop cheating on my homework. God's called me to be more honoring to my mother and father, small things. And we haven't done those things. You think God's gonna call you to a big thing? Crazy? something that people would write about one day? If, you, if the answer's not yes, man, that's, that ought to be flagged for us. Here's question number two. Am I willing to inconvenience myself to take the good news of Jesus to others? I mean, we know the answer what it should be. Am I willing to not say no to some things I want to say yes to? Or am I willing to say yes to some things I want to say no to? Am I willing to be inconvenienced? Like, you know, so, you know, mission trips aren't even a really good example, even though they can be inconvenient, because for, for most students, it's kind of, a, it's fun to go to a different place and see another part of the world. I mean, you get on a plane last year with some of the high schoolers, we went to Poland, that's a cool experience. I'll tell you what, I mean, the guys that were there with us, they, they tell you after, after being out all day and it being kind of cold, getting off the train and we walk all the way down, we put the girls in there, they have three different apartment complexes and we walk them and then we've got to walk the mile or so to our apartment about day three or day four, I was kind of worn out on that walk. It was inconvenient. My feet hurt. That's cold. Know that I'm going to go to bed and wake up and walk back the same direction. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's inconvenient. It costs money. And, and for that, that trip as a high school, you had to give up your spring break. It's no ski trip. It's no beach. Going to the frigid temperature of Poland. And again, kind of fun, maybe not the best illustration, but would you be willing to inconvenience yourself to take the good news of Jesus to other people. Here's the third question. 
What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of that keeps me from being faithful? We're not just talking about mission trips. Talking about how far would you go to tell people that you love about an extraordinary life? So the application question is, what am I afraid of? Go talk about Jesus to somebody. Say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of rejection? Probably. Afraid our friendships are going to change. Some people are going to think we're the Jesus freak. Some people are not going to invite us to the party. Some guys and some girls aren't going to like us because we're a little too spiritual. What are you afraid of? Somebody's going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to? What are you afraid of? It keeps you from being faithful. To tell the people that you say you love about an extraordinary life, what God has in store for them. It's three questions. Hope you wrote them down and took a picture of them to begin thinking through and processing. Because here's the risk that, that we run. And I'll close with this. I'm going to pray. We're going to do some game stuff, tell you some announcements. Here, here's the risk we run. You're a junior high student, you're a high school student. And you've got a friend who if something happened to them, if they were the young man we talked about earlier, this is the party that died in the garage, their eternity would not be good. Their eternity would be separated from God. You know that. And you've been, you've been trying to live out your testimony in front of them, hopefully. And, and you, so you, you've tried to watch what you say. You've tried to be kind. You've tried to be a person that they look at and, and you're hoping that they see Jesus in you, which is a, a, a good thing to do. And they, they struggle through math, and so you volunteer to tutor them for free when nobody else will because you want them to see Jesus in you. You encourage them. You listen to them when, when things are going bad. You invite them to church. And then you graduate, and they go one place in college, you go to another place in college. You know what message we've sent? That following Jesus or being a Christian is about being nice and helping people with their homework. And they get this idea that if I want to spend an eternity with God, what they've learned from us, I need to be a good person. And that is not the message of Scripture. Heaven, the door to heaven is open through a relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And at some point, me and you are going to have to love some people well, strong enough that we don't just live out a Christian life in front of them. That is important, but that's not all we do where we say, hey, because I love you, I need you to know this. Jesus died on the cross for you and he was resurrected from the grave and he lives today and he wants to change your life and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you of sin and to come live inside of you and become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And that will give you the extraordinary life. Somebody's got to hear that. And it's scary. And it's inconvenient. And sometimes we don't even hear God when he tells us to go do it because we're so busy with other things. But let me ask you this. Do you love your friends and your family, and do you love God enough 
that you'd lay down on your side for 16 months, that you'd eat nine ounces of bread and a quart of water cooked over your own poop or some cow manure for 16 months because you loved God and you loved people enough that you would say yes to whatever he said. God may call you to that, I don't know. Let me be a little weird in 2016. Do you know what he has called you to? Sharing Jesus' life with the people that you love. Wrestle through those three questions. Let the Spirit of God this week speak to you. And be faithful when he puts somebody in your path that needs Jesus. God may have ordained that moment for you and them. Let's pray.